before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about a limited opportunity. The doors are open to our online community. Where we're helping clinicians get confidence and success when dealing with the complexity of pain we see in practice. We have Brownie Thompson, Mike Stewart, and myself helping clinicians get the training they need to get comfortable managing pain well. You get live events, workshops, peer support, and direct feedback on your practice and your unique struggles. You can visit the community on your computer or on the go on your smartphone. The doors are closing on May 8th, so make sure you check out modernpainpro.com for all the details and to start transforming your practice today. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and founder here at Modern Pain Care, back for another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast. This week, probably talking about a topic that you've heard us talk about a bit, but it's I was talking to Jared and we were actually texting and like, what are we going to talk about? And I'm always fascinated by the, the dichotomies people take with their perspective on different treatment approaches and things. And, and one that I've used in the past and currently use, I should say, not just in the past, um, it's probably my primary way of dealing with spine issues is MDT. Those of you that don't know, mechanical diagnosis and therapy. Some people call it the McKenzie method, um, specific exercise, repeated motions. God, there's a million ways to term it. But I want to talk about it today because I think there's just this ridiculous like love-hate relationship that people have with it. That I think if we just strip it down to what it is, maybe what it isn't, and maybe make the patient be the center of this decision and not just our biased love or hatred towards one thing, uh, maybe we can find a middle ground on it. Um but let's before we get to that middle ground, let's find out how Jared doing. How Jared is doing. How are you doing there, Jared Hall? Well, Mark, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well this morning. But like we were chatting about before I got on, I um, stayed up a little bit too late last night. Had the neighbors over for dinner, and you know we chit chatted until the uh, late hours of the evening. And I don't, you know, that that's not something I do normally. I'm I'm, I'm one of those early to bed, early to rise guys. So uh, I'm, I'm, if you're watching the video, I might look a little uh, sleepy eyed this morning. Not looking too bad considering, you know, I don't have to worry like, you know, no bad hair days ever come this way. So I'm I'm fine on that front. You're looking, you're looking cleaned up, looking good, maybe a little sleepy, but uh, you mentioned 11 o'clock is like, was your late that I haven't scared 11 o'clock in a long time. It's amazing how when you age, like it's just, you know, what you used to think like 2am, 1am. God, I don't even think about that anymore. I'm getting up at 4am. That's like two hours from my wake up time. So I can't even imagine uh, that anymore these days. But now 11 p.m., 10 p.m., that's like us, us pushing it. That's pushing it big time. But um, let's get into it this week. And uh, what's been your experience? I'm just curious to, to hear your kind of view of what you see in, in kind of the general clinical, because you're obviously a social media, not maybe as heavy as you, you used to be, but you see, you see people's kind of reactions and, and takes on MDT. I'm just curious what your experience has been with like uh, MDT as, as you've seen it from your perspective. Yeah. So I guess my first experience was in PT school. Um, the way that our orthopedics curriculum was set up was kind of a, a little bit of a stroll through various um, methods or, or, you know, approaches. We, we were, we were Maitland based, but we said, Hey, you know, there's also this Syriax stuff and Hey, there's also this uh, McKinsey stuff. And, you know, my, my little module on McKinsey or my one day of lab on the McKinsey method was, 
Um, people have disc herniations, their jelly donut is squished out and you do extensions and th- that, that helps them. And that was like all I really ever knew or, or, or thought about. Um, and then I got out into practice and, uh, started to see things maybe a little bit differently. And, but then at the same time, ran across a few, uh, clinicians who were, you know, MDT certified, you know, they made sure they had the MT, MDT after their name. They had gone through all four course levels, taken the exam, so on and so forth. And, uh, my experience with some of them was, I mean, it is, it is the McKinsey method or, or die. Like you do it on everything. It, it's a, it's a big toe. It's an elbow. It's an ankle. It's a, a lumbar spine. It's a neck. It is um, directional preference and you you give patients directional preference exercises and that is all you give them and that's it. And you like push them on out the door. Uh, so I, I kind of saw the extreme end of the spectrum with that, which was to some degree in line with, you know, the, the extremism that I was taught about it in school, that it's just this, you know, distilled down simple thing where you just do extensions or or something like that in lumbar spine. So, um, I've, I've had some interesting exposures with it. And, you know, I know that you've done some training in the McKinsey method, Mark, and I know that you've probably ran across some, uh, devout, uh, McKinseyites and, and that sort of thing. And it, it does seem like, you know, there's another handful of clinicians that I've run across that say, well, the McKinsey method is just a waste of time. That's just, you know, that's stupid. I would, I would never do anything like that. That's just giving people, uh, you know, lumbar extensions. And, uh, I'm about core bracing and I'm about core stabilization or I'm about strength conditioning or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, just in my journey, in my career, there was like a, a point where, cause I came out and I, I was very much, you know, the Jedi manual therapist wiggling facets and, and sensing things with my fingertips. That was like the key to my helping of people, or at least the narrative that I was rolling with personally. But, and I just disliked Mackenzie simply because it was so hands-off. It was completely going against everything that I was learning um, as far as like the need, I was, there was a Norwegian based kind of Colton born Evian type way of looking at the spine that I was kind of primarily taught in PT school. Although we had a great teacher, Dan Vaughn, who's now retired, um, was a previous editor of JMMT, but great guy, by the way, if you ever get a chance to pick Dan, Dan Vaughn's brain, he's a, just a good human, but, um, he was very good as far as introducing kind of similar, I think to your orthopedic curriculum where it was introducing different schools of thought and, he wasn't saying you have to do it this way or, or anything, but um, his training and bias. And I think he freely was open that he was more Norwegian trained. And that was kind of where I came out. And then I, you know, had grouped up with some people that I go, oh, yeah, this is the only way that that it's to be done. So I literally disliked it because I remember we're practicing and we'd have uh, neurosurgeons folks that would only send to MDT um, clinicians like you had to be certified for you to even like to have their patients, um, you know, work with you. So immediately that was just a bitter pill for me because I, you know, I felt like I was pretty solid with spine. I could handle it. And, um, but I do remember distinctly too, because we would have to, like, I would refer if I had some spine patients that weren't improving under my care and, you know, I'd take the humble pie and, and swallow the ego and say, Hey, I'm going to have you, you know, see one of my colleagues, see if they can do some things. And I, there was a def- significant number of people where, um, man, they would get, some repeated motions, McKenzie based treatments and dramatic changes within a few sessions. And I'm like, 
finally I'm like, I have to learn this because, okay, obviously there's something happening with this that it's not, I'm not able to, to produce in a, in a treatment session and this shouldn't be about me and my ego. I need to figure out how I can help these people the way these guys are. So uh, I got credentialed in it. I don't currently carry it cause I haven't done the, the hoop jumping that you need to, to apparently stay up to date on it. But, um, it, it, it's, and it's, it's been very helpful. Like I said, it's the primary way. Cause I like it in certain aspects. It's patient centered as far as the patient, it's patient driven movement. Although you can put your hands on if you want to, I mean, the devout McKenzieites might say, Oh, you know, hands off unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, there's maybe these false narratives that if you put your hands on somebody, they're going to immediately become dependent and, you know, latch onto you for the rest of your life. Um, possibly. I don't, I mean, that's a rare thing. I think is if you use good narratives around what you're doing with your hands, I don't think you can, or I think you can get to where that doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, I think I would echo what you've found as far as like, um, some people like, Oh, it's ridiculous. I don't know why you waste it. There's these, uh, I always chuckle too. I see people on social media retractions. Do you know the sheer force that's happening at the CTJ when somebody does a retraction? It's like a, I remember hearing somebody say, it's almost like a, a, a lumberjack saw that just saw in the, the, the you know, every time you shear it backwards, you're, you're just, you're causing, apparently when you go forward with a forward head, it doesn't become a problem. But when you retract it backwards, baby, oh my God, you're just shearing and all these like biomechanical ridiculousness. And then I remember, um, oh God, they're creating all these spondies and I can't believe they're extending all these people who are 78 years old. You realize these people have all this arthritis in their back. Oh my God, what the hell are they doing? And again, heaven forbid you let the patient response be the dictator of what's going on. Not these ridiculous created biomechanical, you know, ego saving ridiculousness that we have as PTs to, you know, maybe it's, maybe they're correct that there's some cranky shear force that isn't happening, but maybe you could try it. Maybe you could at least open your window to say, and Hey, I'm going to let the patient's response be this um, and not and not maybe my bias. But I'm saying this as a recovering hater of things. Um, I've, I just find that, you know, I, now there is some ridiculous, I, as we can probably test to, is some of the systems and things out there that we got people doing. But um, I don't I mean, I think McKenzie's done a good job with research. I mean, they, they've done a pretty good job putting together some randomized controlled trials and and a, a breadth of research to, to say it's at least a worthwhile um, approach to apply. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's not the end all be all by any means, but uh, I'm curious what, what your view is as far as where does it sit in your practice, Jared? I know you and I have similar, um, kind of thought processes on it, but I'm curious where you're at with it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. We actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about right now, we are teaching, we're in lumbar spine right now in the, in the orthopedics curriculum of the PT school that I'm teaching at. And, uh, we just did, you know, lumbar and then straight into SI pelvic type stuff. And, uh, in between, you know, I come in for a lot of the lab in between, they had a guest lecture from an MDT trained person, a, a McKinsey person. And, uh, you know, I was there on the day before that person lectured and the, the main professor was like, Hey, we're having a McKinsey lecture tomorrow. Like it's, you know, this, this person's probably going to say some things that, uh, you've heard me disagree with. And I just need you guys to hear it out. You need to know what, what the background is. And then I showed up the day afterwards and like, we were kind of having that discussion. And one of the students said, well, Jared, how much do you use the McKinsey method? And I was like, well, you know, I don't, I can't say that I use the, you know, 
McKinsey method, trademark, MDT, whatever, right? Because I'm not certified or anything like that. Um, but how often do I assess for a directional preference and try out repeated motions to see if um, I can make a modification to a person's symptoms, maybe make their symptoms feel a little bit better or make their symptoms change? Uh pretty much with damn well anybody that has uh, radiating pain of any sort from uh, what I think is the cervical spine or the lumbar spine, whether it's radiating or radicular in nature. Um, I don't probably do it as much for, you know, centralized low back pain or centralized neck pain, but I might still check it out. You know, I might still check it out, but it's going to be lower on my list of priorities. But if I know that somebody's got pain radiating out into their arm or down into their leg, um, every single one of those people I'm going to assess and see, you know, does a sustained lumbar flexion or a sustained lumbar extension cause problem? Does a repeated movement cause problems? Does a repeated movement in a loaded or an unloaded position cause problem? Does a repeated movement where you stress it all the way to in range, uh, you know, cause problems? I'm going to or or make things better, right? It's not only does it cause problems, but is it also making that person's symptoms feel a little bit better? Uh, like all the dang time. And I, I don't, I don't like calling it McKinsey because I feel like there's some baggage that comes along with that for certain people. And again, I, I don't ascribe to the pure McKinsey method, but do I think that that way of approaching uh, tissue loading and, um, you know, movement preferences for patients is a really good idea? Absolutely, because it's it's undeniable. Um, I'm going to jump on my on my anecdotal anecdotal stool for a second. It is undeniable when you have a patient walk in and they've had radiating pain down their leg to their foot for days and weeks, and you do a simple repeated motion test and you, you take their pain from a, a, an eight out of ten to a one out of ten, or it completely resolves, or numbness that was present starts to go away. It's like that is that's some pretty immediate and significant uh, alteration in a person's symptoms that you you've got to recognize and you got to try to work into their treatment plan. Yeah, how dare you bring anecdotes? We only talk in RCTs on this podcast, and I, I just I'm embarrassed for you to even bring that. No, and this is the thing too is like this. It's clinical reasoning, people. It's like good clinical thinking, and just strip it away from your any bias in one direction or the other. What was, what is MDT? MDT is when one guy saw that there was a clinical response to somebody laying an extension, this Mr. Smith story that the MDT folks were, dude laid an extension, his symptoms got better. He pursued that and said, Hey, let me look, check that out with other patients and found that when he applied repeated loads and then he does, there is flexion involved. I know people think it's always extension, but, um, you know, test, treat, retest, symptom response to repeated loads instead of your passive loading of the spine with manual therapy they did just repeated active movements sometimes obviously there's procedures in mdt that are are passive shift correction and maybe some mobilization stuff and they did test treat retest and saw what what changed things and they developed some some clinical patterns which we call pattern recognition which is just now they maybe got a little out of the you know where they associate everything with you know disc squeezing in various directions and there's debate on, you know, how accurate, obviously, that the disc model has been left behind, thankfully, because I think it anchors people on this hyperpathologizing of humans and discs and things like that. But in the end, it's just good, solid clinical thinking. So, you know, next time you see somebody, I one of my things I try to get students to do, because there's a decent population of folks that are past the age of 50, which I'm damn near getting close to 50. But I used to think this was something like, oh, gosh, 50s, man. 
but you shouldn't be extending these people to, before I had an MDT in my belt. These guys, these people might have some degenerative stuff. You're going to just be accelerating that if you start loading them into extension. So I was almost like anti-extension for anybody that was like getting near, you know, Medicare age, just because I had this preconceived notion that there was some biomechanical horribleness, just like this sawtooth thing that was going to happen at the CTJ. <clears throat> but I'd same anecdotally, I'd see people where I could not help these people because I was so adverse to extending them that someone I'd refer them to some MDT, MDT colleagues back in the day. And these people would make dramatic changes again within session, like you said. And I, I was just like, okay, what's going on? But then I'd still see neurosurgeons and some, you know, old school biomechanical PTs. How dare you extend these people? You're just creating instabilities everywhere and all these different things. So, and again, all those things are rightful to be maybe concerned about. I'm not saying you should just like, you know, you know, throw all caution to the wind and just extend the hell out of everybody, but maybe you just try movements and not pathologize them or get the fear of God that extension, some dangerous movement. We apparently are okay to, you know, crucify anybody who puts the fear of God on flexion of the spine, which I think is rightful. I mean, we've obviously demonized flexion too, but extension for some of the folks that are kind of maybe anti MDT or repeated motions. Um, I, again, to me, that's a, that's a clinician issue, not a patient issue because patients don't give a shit what, what your, your, your preconceived biases, they want to feel better and move better. And I'm going to try different things that, that are going to give them a chance. And I will, I can't tell you how many people I've seen, you know, and I work with a lot of DOs who are very positionally diagnosed and they'll say, Oh, there's a, there's an anterolisthesis of two millimeters at this segment. And then it becomes this anti extension thing. And lo and behold, as opposed to letting films make decisions for people and different things, you actually let the patient and their response make your decision extension helps them significantly. And if, again, sometimes can even abolish symptoms. Now, sometimes it confirms it and that's fine too. You know, you might confirm that, Hey, in fact, there does look like there's a pretty extension sensitive issue that, you know, we need to go the other direction. But again, if you just, and I think that's a big reason I wanted to have this podcast is let's not get at these loud voices that scream on both sides of this issue of everybody should get McKenzie. And if you're not doing it, you're not, you're some substandard clinician, or if you're doing McKenzie, you're ridiculous. It's you're creating all these horrible biomechanical, terrible things that are happening. And just again, get a reasoning process that maybe can take those voices in account. Maybe you should hear them a little bit talking like, Hey, am I causing some problems with my extension? Or, Hey, is this, is, is, you know, the other side of things, is this really, you know, the, the way to go with the patient and let the patient response, have a clinical reasoning process that, that strips that ridiculous bias and narratives out of this. And you create your N equals one that we talk about in our teachings and all that stuff where you can have a way that, that has, takes those things in mind. And that's where I like Maitland's things. If anybody's heard the semi-permeable brick wall, which is where all the theoretical jibber jabber out there in the ethos is on one side of the brick wall. And the other, the only thing that passes through that brick wall to the reality situation is what happens in front of you that day with that patient. And having a process that allows you to let the patient response dictate your pursuit with these things versus social media opinions or, or, you know, biased. I've, I've seen my share of MSK. Thankfully we have a very, uh, the folks that I work with now are very open, but some MSK faculty who are like anti and let that bleed into their teaching, which I think is an absolute ridiculous shame that we should not allow. Now you can have your opinions, but declare it kind of like your, your MSK faculty say, Hey, I don't, maybe use it as much. And I have, these are my opinions. And I always tell folks just because the opinion Dr. K says that this is what I think does not mean that other clinicians aren't going to have other opinions. And why don't you let your patient make that judgment, but be open to trying things 
as opposed to, you know, hating or, or drinking the Kool-Aid so heavy. Um, but that is my soapbox for today. And uh, I'm curious where your head's at with all that, Jared. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, as per use, I'm uh, in agreement with everything that you just said. Um, <clears throat> and I think what I would probably like to end on is what I also left those students with. I said, you know, it's I don't believe in thinking in models like saying I'm a <clears throat> or <clears throat> or singular approaches. I'm a Maitland therapist. I'm a I'm a strength and conditioning therapist. I'm a manual therapist. I'm a McKinsey therapist. It's like all of these all of these approaches have good things to them. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a whole huge sect of people who declare themselves to be that type of therapist because they've seen lots of good results with lots of patients that they've treated. And they've had patients that had preferences for those types of approaches over over time. And the, these models evolve probably because there are some good aspects of them. Right. But if you if you, uh, you, you know, label or classify yourself as one of those models, you have a tendency to uh, be a little bit short-sighted and not see the value of some of the other things. And uh, I, I let the students know, like, I, I use components of all of these different approaches. I said, I already, I already said I do a ton of um, repeated motions and positional testing and that sort of stuff for, you know, the the spine. But I also do some mobilizations as well. And I'll, I'll assess what, what does a PA do for this person? What is a repeated, you know, side glide at the at the cervical spine do for this person? You know, does it make their symptoms better? Does it make them, their symptoms worse? I might even combine them. I might have somebody lying prone, prone on elbows and do PA mobilizations to see if that makes the response even better, you know? Uh, so you could do that. And then once we've established a directional preference and determined if uh, some sort of mobilization was potentially helpful, some sort of manual therapy approach was potentially helpful for that person. Well, then I might pull in components of strength and conditioning and say, hey, let's go. Let's work on strength. And actually, you know what? I think that you're lacking a little bit of power. Oh, you know, you need some flexibility and some range of motion here. This is how we're going to dose that approach to that exercise. And this is how we're going to progress it somewhat linearly over time and so on and so forth. Right. So you're you're taking the strength and conditioning mindset. You're taking the manual therapy approach. You're taking the repeated movements, McKinsey, MDT approach. You're taking the Maitland symptom response and, and gradual mobilization, so on and so forth approach. And you're figuring out how can I take everything that I know and everything that I've seen and everything that I've had experience with and use it simultaneously for each individual person that walks through the door to see what is going to get that person the best response or the best outcome, as well as meeting their expectations and also having your own individual little probably personalized flair or, you know, signature, um, uh, signature recipe, I guess you could say to it. Uh, if you're, if you're one thing and one thing only, you're probably going to miss a lot of patients and you're probably going to, to miss a lot of, uh, value of other, you know, treatment approaches that you could potentially utilize for individual people. Yeah, no, uh, I think we're definitely on the same page with that. I think in the end, being a good clinical thinker that understands that there are humans that have varied responses to varied methods. You need a process to be able to hash through what's what's happening, what's changing somebody that's where test, treat, retest. You know, that's where a lot of the helpful things I think with Maitland brought to the table is really being able to stage a patient and understand where they're at to, to really have a good baseline of where they're starting and, and a measuring point of change and having a, a real kind of methodical process of testing, which is very similar to MDT as far as like test, treat, retest and things like that. 
I agree with you. You can actually touch patients and do MDT at the same time. I mean, I know it's a really earth shattering information, but, and some folks are going to say, absolutely not. You do your force progression. And if that's, um, but you'll even see like some of the folks that are higher up in the, like they jump steps and that's part of, you know, what experts do in fields is they, you know, and that's where I used to always scratch my head to the point I lost all my hair, of course, but where I'd see, you know, these experts or clinical mentors who would jump all these things and, and head to a treatment decision. Um, and I'd be, what the hell happened there? I, you know, I, there was like, you, you missed like four steps. And the problem is they've really honed a clinical reasoning thinking process where they have seen clinical patterns form, which is what McKenzie did and Maitland did and different things to, to kind of help them help folks be a little bit more efficient clinically. But in the end, you have to have a process. You have to have some way to start honing in on things and not just blindly apply treatments because this is the way I do it. This is how I do it with everybody. Cause again, I agree with you. You're going to miss a lot of people and you're going to not hit the it's not going to resonate with every patient you see. So having, uh, I don't like the toolbox, but having different skill sets in your, in your, and rethinking models and uh, maybe treatment approaches that you can kind of fit and maybe let the patient's preference have a big voice in that as well um, can be very helpful. So I think we've covered this topic in depth and hopefully you guys have enjoyed the discussion. I think as always, there's usually a middle ground to strike with most interventions, and hopefully you've seen that through or heard that through this episode. Um, would love to hear you guys' perspective. If you guys get a chance, jump on Instagram or our Facebook uh, page and let us know your thoughts. We'll post the episode on each and would love to hear where you're at with it. Um, I think sometimes it's always good to hear other perspectives. Let's keep it civil. Um, we're all in this to help people, so don't want to see any any venom coming out. I mean, definitely constructive criticism is welcome. Um, and I think every intervention needs to be exposed to that, whether it's our favorite one or our least favorite one. And we need to be open to it being, you know, something that's a worthwhile discussion. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Until next time, we'll talk to you next week. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Cardula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.